0: Hello there and welcome to episode number 360 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and today I am talking with New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Janine Frost. I love interviews like this one. These are so much fun. I've known Janine for a long while since her first book, Halfway to the Grave, came out in 2007. So in this interview, we are going to talk about her career as a paranormal romance author spanning 16 years and more than 20 books. We talk about vampires, the draw of paranormal romance, and some skills she's learned in the past 10 plus years. We also end with several TV series recommendations, including some that were canceled far too soon. Now, I want to thank Anne from the podcast Patreon community for some really thoughtful questions. Thank you, Anne. And I want to give you a heads up. There is a violent recap and some spoilers for season three of the Santa Clarita Diet at the end of the episode when we talk about some of Janine's favorite shows. So it's going to be at about minute 55. You're going to skip about a minute and a half. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, skip over the whole part about Santa Clarita Diet. Now, do you want to email us? Do you have suggestions, questions, want to tell me a bad joke? SBJ podcast at gmail.com or leave a message at one two zero one three seven one three two seven two. I love hearing from you, and it's most awesome when you contact us. This podcast episode is brought to you by Dearly Beloved by Mary Jo Putney. Dearly beloved Mary Jo Putney's award-winning standalone romance has fallen out of print since it was first published in 1990. But now it is back on shelves in a beautifully repackaged edition, and her classic tale of forbidden love, courtesans, and dangerous secrets is as enthralling as it has ever been. When the most in-demand courtesan in London meets a Viscount, and undercover spy, harboring a dangerous secret, their clash of passion unleashes an adventure that threatens to upend their lives forever. Dearly Beloved by Mary Jo Putney is available now wherever books are sold. For more information, visit kensingtonbooks.com. Now, if you are attending RWA in New York next week, or you're just hanging out in the New York area, Next week, Thursday, July 25th at 7 p.m. at the Strand Bookstore, I am hosting a romance game night with Helena Hunting, Sonali Dev, Melanie Johnson, Lauren Lane, and Alicia Rye. These are some very funny people. There is a link in the show notes and at smartbitches, com slash events to sign up. Admission is ten dollars and conveniently includes a ten dollar Strand Bookstore credit at the event. There's going to be games, there's going to be a book signing. And the first 50 people to arrive get a tote bag. Doors open at 6.30, so please don't miss the fun. There's a link in the show notes and at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash events. Every episode receives a transcript from Garlic Knitter, and this week the transcript is made possible by the support from our Patreon community. If you have supported the show with a pledge of any amount, thank you. You help me make sure that every episode is transcribed and accessible to everyone. If you would like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com smartbitches. Any pledge of any amount shows that the show that we produce, well, that I produce, has value to you, and that means a lot, and it helps me keep going. So thank you in advance, and thank you to the Patreon community for helping me underwrite each transcript. I have a compliment, this is so fun, for Mary B scholars and archaeologists have discovered an ancient goddess who was worshipped for being pretty much exactly like you. Pretty great. Your awesomeness spans thousands of years. Well done. Now, I also want to tell you one more thing before we get to the show. I have a new pair of Bluetooth headphones from Studio that they sent me to test drive. This time, everyone in my family has been trying to steal them from me. So that's kind of an endorsement of how great they are. They are small white wireless Bluetooth earbuds, they have a little pod carrying case like that brown lip balm that comes in a sphere, but it's a little bit larger than that, and the carrying case is a battery which recharges the headphones while they're hanging out in there. They weigh four and a half grams each, they have seven hours of battery life, and the charge case will keep them going for another four charges so it can last days without having to recharge that case battery. You get 15% off with code SMARTBITCHES, all one word, at studio.com, and you get free worldwide shipping. I will link to the newest model in the show notes, but I have now tried three pair from Studio, and they're great. And this particular model, I looked it up and how to pronounce it. It is the TOL. Now, Swedish folks, if I got that wrong, because it's T-O-L-V, if I got that wrong, please feel free to email me and correct me, because sometimes I'm not so good at that. If you go to studio.com and use discount code SMARTBITCHES, you get 15% off and free shipping. Sounds good, right? Yeah, it's a good deal. I'll have information at the end of the show about the music and what's coming up on Smart Bitches this week. But for now, let's get ready for this interview on with Janine Frost and all things paranormal romance.
1: I am Janine Frost. And I'm the author of the Night Huntress series, which most people refer to as the Cat and Bones books, the Night Prince series, or the Vlad and Layla books, uh, the Broken Destiny series, which um, I've heard, mostly heard of, those aren't vampires, uh, <laughs> that description, and, <laughs> and uh, the new Night Rebel series, which is back to vampires, and also most commonly referred to as, oh my god, Ian finally got a book! So, <laughs> that's pretty much what I write. And I've been lucky enough to have my books appear on the New York Times, USA Today, Publishers Weekly, and other bestseller lists. So those are my professional credentials. And um, the personal me, of course, though, is the woman who will bore you to death showing you pictures of my dogs if you're with my company for longer than 60 seconds. And, um, you know, also if you're around me longer than 60 seconds, I'm going to complain that Netflix canceled Santa Clarita Diet because that was my favorite show and I cannot believe they canceled it. Oh, and warning, um, I'm going to try not to curse, but I have a potty mouth. Um, so if an F-bomb flies out, I'm so sorry. And if there are any children listening, have them leave the room just as a precaution.
0: (laughs) I think anyone who listens to my podcast on the regular knows that we'll drop an F-bomb here and there. Um. (laughs) I need to tell you, the minute you said the, the Night Huntress series, but most people call it Cat and Bones, several years ago, I think this might have been 2014 or 2015, I was in Australia, and there was a romance trivia night. And it was like pub trivia, only we were in a, a room in a, in a university. We had snacks. I ate my body weight in oh, gummy worms.
1: Oh, that so much fun.
0: And it was great. I would love to recreate it someday. And it was a Jody McAllister all right. Good job, Brain. And thank you, Google. Jody McAllister and Gabby, who I don't know if she wants her last name on the whole wide internet, made this whole evening up along with uh, Rudy Bremmer. And one of the questions was, the name of the series written by Janine Frost? And you know, I was like, Cat and Bones. And they were like, no, that's not the right answer. And I'm like, no, it's Cat and Bones. That I I remembered their names. That never happens. They're like, no, it's the Night Huntress series. And I was like, I, fuck You're kidding it is? Know, like, yeah no it's not no it is no, I was yes. wrong technically it's
1: the night hunter series but almost no one calls it that it's the cat and bones books or the grave books because the word grave was in you know every title of the books, and mm-hmm. hardly anyone calls it the night hunter series so <laughs> no nope. so I would have thought that answer should have been nope. accepted
0: <laughs> nope didn't work not a chance I was wrong on that round but I think we did pretty well in the uh, in the overall pub trivia in an academic setting. And I mean really romance trivia night should definitely be more I of think, a thing, did right?
1: Avon do something like that and they're most Yeah, I think or they did a family feud thing. They did the KissCon mm-hmm. weekend affair last April and they're going to do it again this this April yep. and they did a family feud thing like that. Only, you know, like family feud they have the question and you know most oh. common answers and I didn't go to that, which I'm kicking myself. And I heard about it afterwards from so many readers, and it sounded like so much fun. I think I was on a panel, and we were in, of course, the room next to it, so you could just hear just the roar of laughter through the walls.
0: (laughs) Isn't that the worst? When you're in a panel and next door is laughing, you're kind of like, listen, I know I'm here to talk to you, but let's all go next door, because that sounds fun. (laughs) Now, you have been, I am guessing, on a lot of panels, because I think you and I have been corresponding since you started writing full time. How long have you been writing and publishing Cats and Bones and books and vampires and not vampires? You and
1: I have been corresponding since before I wrote full time. Um, I remember you were the first review I ever got back in, let's see, it must have been early 2007, um, because my first book came out in November 2007, and I think you reviewed it in June. So, um, so I was so excited because someone read my book and oh my God, they didn't hate it. Um, So yeah. So that's when I started. um, I think I emailed you to thank you for the review or I don't even remember what the heck I said. I was so excited. I'm like, someone read my book. I want to talk to them. Uh, You know, it's, it's so of course, (laughs) but you know. (laughs) Um, So I've been published since 2007, but I started seriously writing in 2003 and I say that because yes, as a teen and whatnot, I would start to write, but I would never finish. I would write a couple chapters, get bored, never, never touch that story again. And that, I mean, well, it's a, it's an important learning process. I don't consider it real writing because I had never actually finished a story. I finished a story in two thousand three. So yeah. for me, that was when I be, was a, a, a quote unquote real writer to actually finish something. So it's been. Yeah, 16 years. And I just can't even believe saying that, because it's holy like, yeah, cow. How, how, how did it? How? how has that much time passed? <laughs> does it feel like a really
0: long time? Or does it feel like, oh, wait, no, my first book just came out like two years ago?
1: I mean, most of the time, it feels like it can't be that long, you know, <laughs> like, I literally have to look at the calendar to double check that yes, it has been that long. And of course, some days, I'm sure like anything else, you feel like you've been doing this for a 100 years or more. Um, but most of the right, time, of it doesn't feel half that long. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but then again, most of the time, I'm like, I'm 46. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> Be
0: awesome. Oh, once you get the four in the front, I'm, I'm 44, mm-hmm. I'm right behind you. And I really think once you get the four in the front, you're kind of like, yeah. wait a minute. Hold up. First of all, how did the four get there? Second of all, look at all the things I no longer give that a shit is, about.
1: I gotta tell you, that is one of the best things about getting <laughs> older. And it's not It's not that I don't care about things anymore. It's great. I care about things, but what I don't give a shit about as much anymore is what people think I should care about. The socialist. you know what I mean? Yes! Like, oh, you should You should care about this or that, you should care about, you know, aren't you dieting more? Aren't you like, uh, isn't your hair, you know, you've got some grays. Yeah, I do. Uh,
0: Those (laughs) are natural silver highlights from God, I will have you
1: know. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, But yeah, so I care less about the stuff that doesn't matter. And that has been a gift of growing older. It's worth the wrinkles and the grays. It's
0: (laughs) so true. I, I, I like to joke that when you gain another age number after you hit the four in the front, every year your give a fuck card gets renewed at a much lower rate and i have like two for the whole year and i'm very sparse with my fox like i just don't care
1: and thank you for dropping the f-bomb first i feel so oh, much better now. have you seen
0: the name of the website really do not worry and the nice That's, thing about podcasts the ftc cannot do anything to me on, as a podcaster if i was on the radio i'd be in deep shit but oh well i'm not
1: I was in a Bible study group the other week, and I dropped the f bomb, and I was like, "Oh, I did not just do that in church in a Bible study group." But thankfully, they're very, they're very chill. And the pastor says, "Oh, honey, I do that more than I should too."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like your pastor. <laughs>
1: yeah, she's great. She is great.
0: <laughs> so you anyway. started writing paranormal romance when it was the thing, like everything with yeah. paranormal. It was black lace and blood red corsets for days. Oh yeah. And its popularity has changed and evolved. I have this theory that genres don't ever really die. Trends do, but genres don't. And here we are, it's 2019. Paranormal is starting to come back in a little bit of a different way. What draws you to paranormal stories? And what do you see as the the strengths of the genre that keep it going?
1: Um, Well, I'm going to answer that like it's two different questions. Um, That
0: is two questions. So blather as long as you want.
1: Yeah, um, again, totally unfair
0: (laughs) of me. I apologize.
1: No, that's fine. And I apologize in advance because I will ramble. There's a reason why I don't do public speaking as my job. And I write where I can go (laughs) back and edit. I mean, one, yes, paranormal was the thing back when I published it. It was so funny because people were like, oh, you were smart. You, you jumped on this, you know, you picked this genre because it's successful. And it's like, No. Um, I, this is what I, this is what I love. I don't know how to write a story that isn't paranormal. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Um, at least not yet. So, and yeah, yeah, it's gone through, um, a lot. It went through a big contraction. Uh, what was that in like, geez, I don't know, 16, 17, you know, whatever. Um, and now I hear that it's coming back and it's like, okay, maybe, um, but, it, so market-wise, there are ebbs and flows, but you're right. I don't think it'll ever go away because mm-hmm. I mean, paranormal has been around since people, you know, our ancestors were grouped around a campfire saying "What if?" "What if?" and writing, you know, funky-looking, not real creatures on the cave walls. I mean, kind <laughs> how long paranormal has been around. It is not going to go away because it's always been there. Um, so, so what changes is you know the market in that regard. So, what, and the
0: monsters, too.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that's also true. Um, you know, so, so the parent, so paranormal answers the question, what if I think it is at its most basic core? What if, what if such and such creature were real? Or what if, you know, magic were real? Or what if, you know, what if people had superpowers? Or what if, what if, what if? And it answers that question. Mm-hmm. And because the question is so open, I mean, what if can have just endless possibilities to, its popularity, I think, will never totally fade because people love to wonder and imagine and make believe. I mean, I think it's in us. And if we don't love to do it, then we love to see the results of what someone else has done with it. So totally, yeah. So in that regard, yes, I agree with you. Paranormal will never totally go away. Um, for me, what drew it, it to me is I've always loved vampires. I, I literally do not remember what started it. But, you know, again, a story that I was told, I mean, good God, decades before I ever started writing about them was that my first day of Sunday school, um, you know, the pastor asked me if I knew what the cross on the wall stood for. And I said, yes, it keeps the vampires away. And I (laughs) told you know, my mother was mortified. She was very easily mortified. And I was too young to enjoy mortifying her at that point. So I missed out on that. Um, But, you know, but so that's how long I've been into vampires. (laughs) Since before I even remember. And then, you know, even like as a, tween I guess you would say I was rooting for Dracula instead of Van Helsing and I would hear you know but Dracula's the bad guy and I didn't understand why I'm like he just wants to be with this girl and he has got to eat look at Van Helsing he's just trying to kill him for no reason and that's how I saw it Um, so,
0: so when I wrote <laughs>
1: He's just, He's just hungry, hungry and wants to be with his girl. Really? Van Helsing's the one just walking around killing people. But anyway. <laughs> so so I've loved vampires since that long. And apparently with a lot of, you know, devotion that I'm sure a psychologist would love to dive into. But anyway, um <laughs> but it's it's been so much fun to read it. And the genre, I think, you know, is so Everlasting because, again, you can answer that question with anything. Werewolves, zombies, uh, magic, um, you know, merman, mermaids. Oh, gosh, yeah, the mermaid thing now. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just fun and it's escapism. And I don't know about you, but especially in today's world, when the news makes you regret oh, yeah. that I don't drink, I need some escapism.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. I agree with you there. I also think now that I've been listening to you and, and how you sort of recast Um, the proposed villain of of of, uh, of Dracula, I also wonder if the popularity also has to do with basic emotions, lust and fear and desire and terror. Like we love scaring the crap out of each other as humans, right? About as much as we like chasing each other sexually. (laughs) So with paranormal romance, you're combining
1: both. It, I mean, yes, it is. And, and it's fun. And while, you know, listen, I'm not one for abusive storylines. Don't get me wrong. And anyone reading my nah. books would, would know that's not the position I fall on. But, you know, the element of fun danger, um, that, that I'm all for in escapism, not in real life. You know, in real life, I, you know, they'd be like, ooh, I heard a scream. You know, let's go investigate. It might be dangerous. And I'll be like, I'll stand back and call 911. That's me in real life.
0: <laughs>
1: but you know, again, you can you can paranormal stories especially allow you to explore all sorts of fun different things that you don't get to do in our everyday normal life. And um, you know, there is the bad boy element in paranormal that also you could never get away with in a regular relationship. Like I remember um my mm-hmm. night prince series which features Vlad, you know, also yeah, Dracula, although I I when I wrote him, he absolutely hated being called that. Um but, you know, I drew a lot from his historical background of not. Now he wasn't particularly vicious; he was just really, really clever with with his viciousness for the time. He was very he was very fervent about protecting his people. So that's what I drew on when I wrote him. But I mean, my God! In one scene, the hair of the heroine's father shows up, and he's like, "There are corpses stuck on poles in the lawn," and she's like, "Oh, he needs to take those down." But it's Dracula, yeah. If you go to a normal house and your your guy has corpses on the lawn, you run. But when you write about Dracula, you can put that in there.
0: <laughs> right. Like, oh, fine, corpse as decor. I am sure this makes sense to you. We'll yeah. just have to deal with it. It's not like, yeah. okay, so, time to go. So, so
1: there is the fun element of danger that that doesn't have the the you know, the the actual like you're really in danger threat with it. You can have you can laugh at you can laugh while you yeah. chill, I guess.
0: Now one of the things I did, and I apologize for going off of the questions that I sent you, is I asked my Patreon group who support the show, um, if they oh, had any okay. questions for you. And I have a question. I have a question from Anne who says, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited <laughs> you're interviewing Janine Frost. I went completely fangirl on her when I went to a Aww. signing with her a few years back. So Anne is a super fan. She wants to ha- – she has a couple questions. Did you always know that you wanted to tell stories after Bones and Cats? Do you have a favorite couple since you've expanded the Night Hunter um, series? Yes? I
1: always knew I wanted to tell stories after Bones and Cat. And a matter of fact, I think in one of you and I's early email correspondences back when my first book came out, um, I think you would ask me yeah. like like what like what you you would ask me something like, do you want to just write about them or do you have other characters? And I remember I wrote something to you to the effect of, I want to about, write about them, and then some of the side characters, and then something else. And oh my gosh, I just—I I think I could write fifteen or twenty books if they would let me. But I know that that's just, you know, a pipe dream. And um, I've actually gotten to write.
0: How many <laughs> I mean, books have you
1: written now? I mean, if you count the <laughs> novellas, it's over twenty. If you just count the novels, I think we're at uh, seventeen or eighteen. Something I—I. I...
0: That is astonishingly good. <laughs> I, like wow. Like if you think about the number of people who are riding public transportation right now, who are thinking, "I'm going to write a novel someday," and here you are with twenty plus books. Damn, I mean, girl, nice, listen, great girl. There are,
1: still, there are still many, if not most, days that if I woke up and someone told me, you know, like Bobby didn't really die in Dynasty or whatever, it was all a dream. That this was all a dream, I would believe it. Um, so, so yeah,
0: um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have that. I have that feeling too. So, do you have a favorite couple since you've expanded the series?
1: Oh yeah, sorry. Back to see, see how easily I get distracted. Thank you for reminding me. That's of why that. I have notes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I listen. I'm fickle. I've called myself a literary slut because I love whoever I am writing at the moment, and that's who I love the most. So I have no faith in, <laughs> in that But. Um, that being said, I think Cat and Bones will always have a special place in my heart because they were the first. Yeah. I mean, you know, you always, you always love your first a little or remember your first or whatnot, you know? So, yeah. So, but yeah, right now I love Ian and Veritas because that's who I'm writing about. And before that, I just could not picture not writing about Vlad and Layla. So, yeah. So again, and and if I write about a new set of characters, I will... I will be, you know, yes, cheating rampantly on all the above with these new people. And that's how <laughs> I am Cheating rampantly. It also
0: sounds like you sort of solved the problem of your of your younger self, writing vampire stories and then getting bored and stopping the process because you were bored with the story. If you're that in love with the character that you're writing about, you're never going to get bored because they're going to endlessly fascinate you. So you kind of solved your own problem. I,
1: it It makes a bit, I mean, I haven't figured out how to not, be emotionally invested in a story and just write it, you know? I mean, and I know authors can, and by no means do I imply that they can't write better than me. I mean, Nora Roberts, while I'm sure she's emotionally invested, I think she jokingly said that she calls each each new novel her POS. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and she's just like, you sit down in the chair and you and you put words on the page because that's your job. And while that is true, I mean, I, I can't put, I don't have the work ethic, let's just say that, of her and other writers to do that without loving the characters. I mean, I have got to, I have got to be emotionally invested in who I'm writing about to drag my ass into my office and sit in a chair for eight hours. Um, You know, so, so yeah, I have to be really connected to the characters. So yes, it's, and it's less like I get bored with the characters Um and more just like other characters start to, the, the more I write about the side characters, the more I wonder about them and think about them until in my head I've got enough to make a story about them and then I want to tell their story. So it's less getting bored and more like ooh, shiny and and moving on to something else. But I mean, even right now, if I had more time I would write a cat and Bones short story or novella because I know what they're doing right now and I want to write about it. Um, so I'm not even...
0: What are they doing? <laughs>
1: Um, well, the way up from the grave ended, um, and spoiler alert, you know, plug your ears if you haven't gotten to that point yet, but you know, they, they're, they're kind of often hiding with Cat's daughter and they pop, Cat and Bones pop up as side characters in the series I'm writing because Bones and Ian were, you know, very good friends, sometimes frenemies, but at the end of the day you know almost like brothers right. um through the other series so with the stuff that's happening to ian of course bones is going to pop up and where bones is cat usually isn't far behind so you see them so you get glimpses into what they're doing while they're hiding right. because the vampire world thinks their daughter is dead for various reasons and they need to keep it that way right um but I wanted to, you know, kind of a little bit shine a spotlight by that. And I've been wanting to, for a while, write, like, a girls' night out story with Kat and Denise. And Denise was the heroine in my book First Drop of Crimson. Um, You know, like, what would they do if they just tried to go out for fun like normal people? And, of course, they couldn't just go out for fun like normal people because paranormal hijinks would have to follow. Of course. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, yeah. So, while I'm fickle and I will cheat on my characters, I will still want to circle back around, I guess.
0: And you, <laughs> they're a part of the world that you've created anyway, so you're still hanging out with them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anne also wants to know if if Ian and Veritas's story is a trilogy, or does it does it end with Wicked Bite?
1: It does not end with Wicked Bite. Yay! I can say that <laughs> you have
0: you have made um, Anne very happy.
1: <laughs> oh, yay! Um, I don't know if this next book, the third book, I don't know if that will be the last yet. And I've told readers I'm just going to stop telling them in advance how long a series will be because I have never gotten it right, not once. <laughs> um, when I started Halfway to the Grave, which is my first Night Huntress novel, I thought it was going to be one book with cat and bones. But <laughs> right. No. Um, yes, yeah, seven, and, seven and a half books and a short story or one or two short stories later, yeah, I was wrong. Um, and then I was like, okay, it'll be three books. Okay, five books. Okay, eight books. Actually, not eight books. It'll be seven books. And then, so I just could not, just couldn't guess because I know generally what I want to write, but because I'm more a pantser than a than a serious, you know, detailed, organized plotter, I don't know right. how long it'll take for me to write that. So same with Vlad. I thought it was going to be two books, and then I was like, nope, it's a trilogy. I told everyone it's a trilogy. Then I then I was halfway through the third book, and I was like, oh shit, there is no <laughs> way I can wrap this up. In the next half of the book, then I was like, okay, it's going to be a fourth book. And even then, I hesitated because I thought, what if I? It turned out to be four books, but uh, <laughs> I'm not even trying to guess. It, yeah, because readers, understandably, get upset. They're like, you uh, make up your mind. It's like I can't. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh, make up your mind. I'm sorry, I am not in control of this train. Yeah, ride it with it me. So Anne also wants to know, what's the difference for you writing YA as opposed to adult paranormal?
1: Huh. Well, the difference is, tee I have never written a YA. Um, everyone thinks I did because my other not vampire series, Broken Destiny series, was new adult It was not YA, but the first cover looked very YA, and a lot of it did. I can
0: understand why people got that impression.
1: Yeah, (laughs) will not talk about cover discussion. Will not talk about cover discussion. Um, (laughs) Yes, the (laughs) the first book looked really YA, and new adult was kind of a new genre, and a lot of people didn't understand that it wasn't the same as young adult. So, uh, right. the vast majority of my readers assumed it was a new adult. And you are not alone. You are, you are among the vast majority. Um, which is right, why right, my, right. that publisher up redid the covers twice. I think now it's just a bare-chested guy on the cover, you know, that, that just pretty much screams, not young, you know, not YA, this, you know, adult content. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. So yeah, so I've never written a YA. I, I tried once many years ago and the feedback I got was that, um, I mean, honestly, the feedback I got from editors was, oh, you sweet thing. We can tell you're in your late thirties. Just, just give it up. Um, (laughs) they said it so much more politely, but that really was the end result. Like, you do not sound like a teenager at all. Just save yourself.
0: And you have had a lot of covers for the the beautiful ashes. I just realized that I hadn't seen the the third one. Yeah, yes,
1: yeah, third. <laughs> it's um, it's the blonde bare chested guy now, right?
0: It is the blonde bare chested guy. Nice man, chest by the way. Yeah. I, I I do remember very clearly when I was still just a brand new blogger, and I didn't understand that like books would just show up to the house, like people publishers would send them to you. I didn't know that was a thing, <laughs> and I got a copy of. Uh, Halfway to the Grave, which is some of the best cover art I've ever seen. Not just the model's expression, like A, she's going to kill you, but B, she's sitting to the side. Her arm is behind her. The knife is in front of the boot. She's got legs for days. My God.
1: And of course, that cover is incredible. Or, or, you know, we're like the, like you said, but she, you know, we're like the red, you know, bright red booste. She's wearing just a regular pretty dress. (laughs)
0: And she looks so fierce. I mean, that cover is stunning. It
1: really, it really was. I mean, I have to tell you, I could not have asked for a better cover, and especially on a debut novel, because we all, you know, we all know better than to judge a book by its cover. But let's face it, that's the first thing you see on a book is its cover. Oh,
0: of course. Yeah.
1: So um, that cover was, I, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Could not. Could not love it more. And and I love how they did mix the I'm going to kill you with, oh, look, if you don't notice the knife, you know, I'm just, oh, look at me. I'm just a girl in a dress in a cemetery with a big ass knife staring right at you. Come and, you know, come try something.
0: So it, and every, every pose that she's been in, even with the change of model, the physical poses are so powerful. Like she is not here to fuck around. Uh, I love that about the the physical positioning of her body on covers. Yeah,
1: they did. Wow. Um, I, they did such a great job with that. I mean, and not that I don't love my other covers too. I, I don't want to imply, you know, that I, uh, that, but they really, I think they just, they did something special with that series with the covers. And I loved how in paranormal romance it was a chick on a cover who looked like like you said like she was going to kill you um and that that was not the most common look in PNR so I loved it because at a glance it kind of let readers know this is this is has a lot of urban fantasy elements in it and I've heard readers say you know oh you're urban fantasy oh you're paranormal romance and I just I mean I'm I'm not going to tell a reader they're wrong because of course. Yeah, but it's, but it's like, I, I am in the romance section. I am I am. That is where I am published. That is why every book I write, every series, I guarantee, you know, will have a happily ever after. Now, um, the big controversy when I was first published is that Cat and Bones is their first book didn't. Um, but I said, listen, I, I know what genre I'm in. I respect it. As a series, yeah. I promise you, if you continue, Cat and Bones will have their happily ever after. And I was just, you know, be unfortunate that so many readers took the ride with me.
0: They are going to have so much sex. You have no idea.
1: <laughs> you know, she kills a lot more people than she has sex. There's a lot more sex. Uh, <laughs>
0: There's a higher body count than a banging yes, count. They, I agree. They, but they, they, they have a lot of sex, good. too. There's a
1: higher body than... Ba- they bodies per banging count is very much in the bodies category.
0: <laughs> Please take that and run with it because it's awesome. <laughs> So we've talked a little bit about paranormal romance, urban fantasy. There's sort of an overlap there. What are some of the changes you've seen in paranormal romance over the years that you've been working in it? How how has it evolved?
1: One of the biggest changes I've seen is tied to industry because one of the biggest things that has changed since 2007 when I first came out and now has been the emergence of the self-publishing market and of Kindle Unlimited. I mean- in any genre, but especially romance where romance is the biggest seller in fiction. I mean, it is, it is, yeah. you know, and, and it is especially so for the digital market. I mean, the emergence of indie publishing as not just, you know, something that vanity presses were doing, which is what the market was back in 2007, but with Kindle and um with the emergence, you know, the, well, the domination, not just the emergence, the domination of that as a market, it changed, I mean, it changed the entire industry. And it yeah, really did, especially romance. So you really, I mean, to me, I really couldn't talk about what has changed in the subgenre of paranormal romance without talking about the change of the indie market. It's, it's been huge. And I think it's, its it has pros and cons, shall I say. Um, one of the, yeah,
0: yeah, definitely true. Yeah, one
1: of the things that I think is a big pro is that, Reader or writers and readers could get all different types of stories. I mean, when you have a market where you can get any type of story, people that wanted a specific type of story that maybe traditional publishing wasn't doing a lot of, all of a sudden, they don't have to only read those stories. They can go right online and they can see it. Like there's a lot of shifter, shifters um, in, I've seen in DPNR, like bear shifters is a big thing. Apparently there's a market for that. I didn't know, but hey, More power to the bear shifters. (laughs) Um, You know, there's more, there's a lot of multiculturalism in the online indie market that for a while, traditional publishing was not serving well at all. Um, So, you know, and LGBTQ, there was a lot more of that in indie than traditional. There may still be. So there's a lot more variety in indie and that's been a great thing. Um, What hasn't been a great thing is the scams in indie. You know, we've heard about that where You know, sometimes you're reading a book and the author's name on it is absolutely not who wrote it because they have a stable of ghostwriters. And, you know, so so that as an author is really frustrating because, I mean, there's so little you can control in publishing. And by so little, I mean almost nothing. But the, the one thing you can control is doing your best writing a book. Like I've told readers, I can never guarantee that you'll like my book, but I can guarantee you I gave my best effort writing that book. Um, and it just so it feels to me like cheating that authors put their name on a book that they didn't even write. And then they pump out 12 and 15 of them a year and they make other authors look like slackers when we're the ones actually sitting with our asses in the chair writing our own books. So as an author, the scamming makes me so angry. <laughs>
0: I can understand that. Plus, it, it means that it's one more thing for you to have to defend about your own work when there's already so much crap that gets handed to you as a writer of romance, as a writer of vampires, as a writer of paranormal. There's already this you know, layer of, of silliness that gets directed at you from general media. To have to defend the fact that you actually wrote it seems like if you would go back in time and tell yourself in 2007, so listen, in the future, you're going to have to defend the idea that you actually wrote these books right? yourselves. You probably would have been like, you would have been laughing yourself right. silly.
1: I didn't even, honest to God, I didn't even know that what was going on until a year ago. And that's how, I mean, that's how much I just couldn't believe other people, other authors would do that. It just, I had heard it, but I thought, nah. <laughs> so the huge change that I've seen is that, you know, now paranormal is, I mean, the readers haven't gone away, but a lot of them did, did wander from traditional to indie. And you can tell because you can yep. see the sales rankings on the indie books, you know, and you can see, again, the qu- yep. the sales ranking and the quantity versus traditional publishing. The readers did not leave. They changed lanes, you know, at least a significant amount of them. Yep. And I can understand that as a reader. It's like, hey, if I can find stories I love cheaper, why wouldn't I? I- don't begrudge readers doing that at all. But it is a different reality in the genre. And it's something that, you know, if you're writing in it and if you're reading it, you it's, you know, it's too mm-hmm. obvious not to mention. How do you
0: think your stories have changed as you've grown as a writer?
1: Hmm. Content-wise, content, story content, I don't think there's that mm-hmm. much difference. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you could you could do clip notes of my stories and say that there were romance set against the backdrop of the struggle against good versus evil, um, because that is pretty much the essence of what I write. Um, and that has not changed from, to, you know, from 2007 to today. One, I love romance, you know, pretty much to explain my books. Okay, I grew up reading romance novels, watching soap operas and watching tales from the crypt. And that pretty much could give you motivation for a lot of my writing. Um because I loved <laughs> all of those things. And so you will see romance and so some soap opera like situations and then you know the creatures and the twistedness of, you know, the tales from the crypt thing in there too. And yeah, that's my work. <laughs> Take a bow. <laughs> um so I that's what I that's what I love. So it's what I do. Um you know, I would hope quality-wise, the writing has gotten better. I mean, I would hope. I look back, I read my first novel, and I'm like, "Good God, were you playing a drinking game with your exclamation points and your adverbs?" Because you know, if a took a shot at <laughs> each one of those, they would need a liver transplant by the end of the novel. Oh so, yeah, and I was apparently afraid to start the sentences with the word "I." I was apparently thinking that I did that too much, so I would start them with, you know, like leaving the table. I went to the blog. I wouldn't just say I left the table. I mean, it it just, again, reading it now, I cringe and want to red pen, correct everything. Um, But not the story, the story I would keep, but I, you know, the writing. So, yeah. So again, I would hope I've gotten better and hope I've learned and, you know, grown in my craft and all that crap that you're supposed to do when you're doing this for your job. Um, (laughs) But the essence of the story is the same. I love romance. I want to have a good versus evil struggle. And at the end, I want good to win because I, you know, I I need to have some hope in this life, even if it's just between the pages, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the questions that I love to ask writers and people who have been doing what they do for a long time is to sort of think about what would you go back and say to yourself or to someone who's starting a book right now? What advice would you have for them or for your early self? Um,
1: hmm. Well, let me just speak to general writers and and, and break it down to two things. I mean, if someone is thinking of writing a book, but they haven't actually written a book yet, then I mean, I would say start writing and see if you like it. Uh, because, you know, this is a tough business. And if you don't like it, good God, don't do it. You know, why would you torture yourself? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So actually... Take it seriously. I mean, it's fine if, you know, if you haven't yet, because again, I didn't seriously start to write until I was 30. So I'm the last person to say, if you don't do it by X young age, don't bother. Um, and there, you hear stories of people saying they didn't start until they were 50. So, you know, it's never too late to start taking it seriously. I firmly believe that. But take it seriously. Actually finish a book. See if it made you happy to finish it, you know, or, and and then, you know, once you've done that, then go back and revise your book. Because if you can't bring yourself to change a word of your precious baby, this is not the business for you. Um, it's just not. <laughs> and hey, there's nothing wrong with writing stories just for yourself that you don't want to change a word of. Absolutely. You know? so, so yeah, but if you can't, if you, if you can, if you can bring yourself to finish it, but you can't bring yourself to revise it, don't do this. But if you can bring yourself to finish it, and you can, you know, get out that, that emotional and mental scalpel and hack away at it, um, then yes, then then sure, try then try writing another book, and then I would still say try to go the literary agent route first. And the reason why I would say this, even though I have talked about obviously how big the indie market is and what a huge force that is now, But still, it is because it's big. I mean, I did some Googling real quick before this interview, and there's over a million self-published books now. And that's as of of when they counted in 2017. I got to believe that number's bigger. And I think they said Kindle has over four million books between traditional and self. If you just think, oh, I'll just write a book and upload it to Amazon, and then, you know, the money will roll in. No, you won't. (laughs) No, you won't. (laughs) And yes, sometimes you do hear about lightning striking, and you hear some, you know, author saying, "Oh, I just, I wrote, you know, ten books, and I put them online, and look now, and then I quit my day job." Yes, lightning does strike. It's just like people winning the lottery. You will hear about someone winning, you know, a a ten, a million dollar ticket. But the bottom line is that is that is a lightning strike. That is the rare, rare exception. It's not the rule. And I see. Sometimes online, you know, writers be so excited and they're like, oh, I finished the book for Nano and now I'm going to I'm just going to put it online. And it's like, please don't. Please don't. You know, your book, one, your first draft is is not what you want someone to read publicly for consumption. It would be like me telling you I'm going to go to a convention. I'm just going to roll out of bed, not brush my teeth, not wash my face and show up in my pajamas. And that's how I'm going to present myself. No, no. No. Yes still me, but no one <laughs> wants to see that. <laughs> it's like that's like a first draft. Its teeth aren't brushed, its face isn't washed, it probably still smells, and it has horrible bedhead. That is not what you want to show to people, you know? You've got to, you've got to clean it up. So so yes, yeah, so I would really say try the literary agent because number one, they will help you clean your book up and they will help you get a Get a leg up above the four million other people who already have books out on the market. Because if you do get a traditional publisher, one, they take on all the expenses, which that is big. Okay. And two, they will, they have, they have channels and avenues already to give you promotion that you won't have just, just hitting publish on a book to KDP, you know, that's, that's a needle in the haystack with everyone else. And they will help you make the book better, because better, better. Oh, my God, better. Oh, geez. I swear to God I'm not drinking and doing this interview. Anyway, they, an editor will make your book better. That's what better means, the new phrase I've coined. Um, so it'll, you're, what you will be showing people will be so much better than your initial first effort the first time you type the end. So I do still really, you know, tell people I think that is that is the way to go first. If for whatever reason you've already done all the research and, you know, and for whatever and you've polished your book and you've, you know, you've had professional someone read it, freelance editor, and you're like, I want to do self-publishing because of these researched, very logical reasons, then sure, go ahead. But I just so try and unfortunately burst people's bubble against thinking self-publishing is the quick, easy way. It's not. It really, really isn't. None of this will be quick and easy. If you're looking for quick and easy, buy a lotto ticket. You'll have better odds. Um, but if you're serious about wanting to share your story with people, yes, you still can have it happen. You know, the the traditional way, or you still can have it happen the indie way. But just know,
0: I love the idea that your first draft has bad breath.
1: Yeah, oh, so much, right? Oh.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have an edit? You, you do you have the same editor after all these years?
1: Mm, I actually do. Um, yes, the first editor who bought my first book is the editor I still have now. And um, I, I, I'm so happy to still have her. And I, you know, and I trust her feedback on the books. And that doesn't mean that, you know, she and I won't disagree sometimes. But I know she's not trying to change the story to make it what she thinks it should be or, or, you know, or make it try and fit some trend or something. She genuinely is trying to help take my book and make it the best it can be. And that's, that's what you dream for about in a out.
0: That's what you're going for. Yeah.
1: What are, what are some
0: of the things you've learned from your editor?
1: Um, staying on plot. <laughs> 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 Wait, so you have to have a plot. Shit. That sounds Damn. So basic, doesn't it? But you got to realize the first book I wrote is the first book that I published. Okay. Which isn't normal. Um, You know, that's not that that's, that is a bit unusual. Um, most most people, you know, write wrote a few books before they got published. My first published book was the first book I ever finished. And I wrote that just for me, you know, wrote it. And then I wrote the second book, again, just for me, and wrote the third book. And by the time I started the fourth book, my husband said, do you want to see if anyone wants to buy them before you just keep writing books in the same series? So that's why I started shopping, mostly to shut him up. So he'd leave me alone and let me write in peace. Um, and, and you know, I ended up revising the book, but it got, it did get, that first book got published, bought. And when my editor gave me notes on it, and I, you know, it had been in better shape because agents had helped me clean it up. But my second book was the original second book. And oh, dear God, I could still, if, for fun, I ought to publish the edit notes on it, you know, the margin comments, because they were like, <laughs> why is this scene here? Um <laughs> What is happening? Like you you did the exact same type of scene three times in a row. This is literally the fourth version of this same type of scene why is this scene here it has nothing to do with the plot why is this scene here like who are these people they show up they do nothing we go away you don't see them again for the rest of the book because that's how i wrote i literally did not understand i had to stay on main plot and every scene should have a point i wrote thinking hey this this is a fun brain tease idea i'm just going to include it in the book because I, I I didn't know the most basic things of when you write your every every chapter in your book should be related to the main plot and going toward the eventual resolution of the book. I didn't even know that.
0: <laughs> I learned. Well, I mean, it 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 can be fun to meander through a world, especially one that you made. I can understand that. I mean, why else would fan fiction exist in such uh, high quantities if people didn't want to hang out in worlds that. You know, didn't really have to go anywhere, just hanging out. Like maybe that's, maybe that's the name of this, of the subgenre of fanfic, like common room fanfic. We're all just hanging out here. I
1: had so much of off plot side stories. I, I combined them into an anthology that was, I think, like 130,000 nice. words called Outtakes from the Grave. <laughs> and that was like a book and a quarter length, um, just of my meandering off plot, others, other and or alternate version scenes. Um, just in my first four <laughs> books. That's how much I had to cut. I had to cut over oh, like a novel and a quarter, a novel and a third out of my first four books because I did not grasp that you. Yes, your 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 story should have you know a, a lean mean plot, basically. So yeah, so I I actually ended up self-publishing it for, you know, readers who wanted to see more of Cat and Bones. and like, well, what if this would have happened? Okay, that was like, choose your own adventure. What if this would have happened? Well, here you go. I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) So you must
0: really like hanging out in the world that you created. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I loved hanging out with the characters. And especially starting out, when I didn't have the pressure, I got to tell you, there is something glorious about writing just for you, not thinking about making, you know, making it make sense. Or did you break a world building rule? Or are you on plot? Or is your pacing good enough? Or have you, you know, blah, 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 all the things that are listen, they're critical to, to putting a book out that you want people to buy. Because when someone buys it, that's, that's a product. You know, that's, that's not your, that's not your imagination, baby. That's a product. That's what you're asking them to buy. And the product should be as good as it could be. But before that, when you're doing it for yourself, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's taking a walk down imagination Avenue. It's there's, there's so much fun about that. And you don't have the pressure of product.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it can be a really difficult transition to make that the thing that you've written that was your imagination and your playground is now a product
1: it's a shock I mean I gotta tell you the biggest shock wasn't that the the biggest shock was um gosh and I don't know how to say this without sounding pretensions but you'll you'll know what I mean Sarah because I'm sure it happened to you too um is how you are no longer you're no longer a person you are a representation of a product like people know you as Sarah oh, yeah, absolutely. from smart bitches, not just Sarah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. and I genuinely did not expect that. It was probably because I didn't have any online presence before my first publishing contract. And so the only interactions I had with people like that was as Janine, the author. But to me I was just, you know, I'm Janine. I'm I'm the person I've always been. And I didn't realize that people didn't look at you know People only knew me through my books. So whenever I spoke, it's almost like a book cover with a mouth. <laughs> you know, everything you say yep. is tied back to um, to that. And it was like, even when I was talking about other books as an author who had a contract, but who didn't have a book on the shelves yet. And I remember some some group was talking about, and I'm not going to say which author, but an author's books. And they were saying something, you know, they were saying something a bit critical. And it was a popular author. And I said, Oh, you know, that really bothers me too about this, this thing. And, and a couple readers were like, Oh, you think your books are better? Wow. You're arrogant. Oh my God. I'm never even, I'm not even going to. And I was like, Oh my God. I, it didn't occur to me that I was no longer Janine a reader. I was Janine an author because to me, I hadn't changed. I was just talking about books the way I had my whole life, you know? And you, and again, like you, Sarah, if you say something, you know, you're you're saying it as Sarah from the Smart Bitches blog, not
0: just yes. As your your name becomes a brand. yes, and I,
1: and there is a what do you call it? Um, a deconstructing of you as a person that kind of happens.
0: But yeah, you have to you have to separate the two, even if the person you're speaking to does not. Yeah, I totally so know. What that
1: was that was really hard. <laughs> Really was yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I can understand that totally. Especially because you know this is this is my real name. You know, I wasn't smart enough oh, to pick a pen name. Sister, Oops, <laughs>
1: this is my real name. If I had to go back, I, I wouldn't have done it. First of all, look, people have said, "Is this a pen name?" I'm like, "Do you see how that's spelled?" Would I have picked a pen name <laughs> that had that many vowels? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's one of my favorite things about emailing you. We just keep adding more vowels to your name. I think the last time I wrote you it was GNI I Nini and It's like talking to a dog
1: or a baby. You know how you talk to a dog or a baby you're like, ooh, is it whittle woo and it's all vowels? Yeah, that's my that's pretty much what my name reads. <laughs>
0: However, Frost is an outstanding surname for a paranormal author.
1: That is kind of, that is kind of neat. I got to tell you. Yeah, I I married that I, I yeah, there was, was a good business decision when I was 19. It was a very
0: very good branding strategy. That whole wedding was excellent branding strategy. A That's
1: how far ahead you plan. <laughs>
0: So what are you working on now?
1: I just finished um, revisions on Wicked Bite, which is the second Ian and Veritas novel, also known as the Night Rebel series. (laughs) Um, So literally just turned those in yesterday. So right at this exact moment, I am gleefully working on nothing. I think I'm going to take a week to read and watch TV and try and get caught up on my inbox because my inbox is just, I mean, it's going to grow arms and legs and come after me. Um, But anyway, (laughs) so after I do that, then I will be starting the third Ian and Veritas novel. No title yet at this point. It'll probably have the word wicked in it because, you know, we'll probably continue with that theme. Um, And as discussed, I don't know if this is going to be the last book. Uh, It could be or who knows? Maybe not. I'll I'll tell you when I'm done.
0: (laughs) One other question from Anne. Have you ever had a fangirl moment while meeting an author? Yes,
1: yes. I've had two that stick out that are really (laughs) embarrassing. Um, Oh, those are the best kind. Yes. I had just sold a book and I went to my first RWA and I was in a business meeting where they were, I don't even remember what the hell they were talking about, but they were talking about something business. Okay. So this is the first time I'm like in person meeting my publishers. Okay. So, you know, you're supposed to be professional and you're supposed to not act like an ass. Okay. Okay. And so at the business meeting, I was doing a good job. And then Kim Harrison walked in and sat down and, you know, you know, whatever talked with the meeting. And then she got up to leave early and I jumped up in the middle of the meeting, ran over and said, I just have to tell you, I love your books. Which so <laughs> And everyone else from my publisher at the table, but I physically could not control myself. And then I <laughs> sat down, like, "Oh my God, what did I do?" Because they were all looking at me, like, "Oh my God, what did you do?" Which I deserved, but I had again, I could not stop myself from leaping up to say that because there was the author who wrote the Hollow series. I couldn't, I couldn't control it. Um, so there was that, and I'm, I'm amazed that wasn't just, and that was the end of Janine's career, you know, because that that could have been a logical conclusion to that story, um. And then there was, um, I was on, leaving a panel at some convention. I don't know what it was, um, RT or RWA, one of them. And the next, you know, set of author panelists came up and one of them was Diana Gabaldon. And I saw her and just like, pa- like pause, stared, and then ran over and said, <laughs> so, I don't even know what, some ramble, oh my God, I love your book, Claire and Jamie, oh my God, my God, my God my, 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 you know, some, some sort of <laughs> just unintelligible gasping thing like that and then ran away before i said anything else embarrassing and the funny part is here's how you know when you're when you've really shamed yourself um on a panel later that day i said oh i just embarrassed myself in front of you know an author i love diana gabaldon and i ran up to her and i just babbled like a crazy person and ran away and someone from the audience yelled oh my god she mentioned that on her panel that was you <laughs> oh no, 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 no. So yes, so so if anyone thinks they have fangirl in a way that's embarrassing, I yeah, don't worry, I I I've, I've, I've shamed myself so much more. <laughs> <laughs> See,
0: I don't know if there's anything better than someone just coming up to me and saying, "Oh my God, I love your website, I love the podcast, I love what you do," because you're gonna can't be like working in a vacuum. And I love the being on the receiving end of that. I have never had any chill when I do it myself. Yes.
1: Same. I love when people tell me that. It's so nice to hear. Because like you say, you work most of the time and you're by yourself and you do your best and you hope it doesn't suck. And, you know, you
0: don't know. Uh (laughs) No. But then when you become a, a proud fangirling member of Team No Chill, like I look back on that and I'm like, wow, Sarah, you just you just really went there, didn't you? Wow. Okay. Good enough. Just, you're, my inner 13-year-old just comes out sometimes, and it's not yeah. good.
1: <laughs> yes, I hear you. My, mine apparently can't be trusted even in a professional setting.
0: <laughs> nope, 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 nope. 13-year-old girls inside, Just, they just got to come out. Now, you mentioned that you're about to take time to watch TV and tackle your inbox. Are there TV shows that you absolutely adore that you want to recommend? Aside from Santa Clarita Diet, which should not yeah, have been canceled. Yes,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm just so angry. <laughs> It was great. It featured a married couple and it was funny and witty and, and, and it had a paranormal element. It was everything I loved. Oh, anyway, it was great. And I would honestly recommend watching it if for nothing else than in season three where Drew Barrymore, cause she, she accidentally becomes a zombie. That's not a spoiler. Um, you know, that's kind of the point right. Of course. The and, but she only wants to eat bad people because she's a good person, you know. So, so, and she basically ran out of Nazis to eat, um, you know, neo-Nazis. And um, so she's branching out and they find this violent misogynist that's not, that's not too far from the neighborhood. And they lure him there by saying that he's going to attend a men's rights meeting and he's bitching about things left and right. And she just, oh, she just eats him and rips his arm off and it hits the wall and it sounds really gross but it was actually hilarious oh. <laughs>
0: it actually sounds really satisfying
1: <laughs> it, 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 it fulfilled an emotional need i didn't know i had
0: <laughs> you know you, you see something like that and all of a sudden you're like i didn't know how 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 gratifying it would be to see somebody rip the arms off of a guy like that but yeah let me rewind that and watch it again that sounds great
1: i did watch it twice <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and they're like, how are we going to learn here? And she says, we're going to tell them a woman's expressing her opinions online on the internet. That's how we'll get him here. Um, anyway, so it was, it was really, it was really witty. Um, So yeah, still grieving, still grieving that. Another show that I had really liked that also only had two seasons was People of Earth. And that was, um, it was about people who at first it's this reporter investigating people that thought they had been kidnapped by aliens. And he, completely skeptical and kind of mocking of them only to find out he had been, he had been kidnapped too. And it was funny though. If, you know, I guess I like shows that have light, light, quirky, interesting characters that are real and flawed. And yet also again, witty and fun um, with a little bit of, you know, light paranormal elements. Uh, I, you know, I, and then I'll also like other shows like stranger things. I love season one or two, just saw season three thought it was the weakest of them but you know uh, if you saw the first two you got to watch season 3 um oh i went through all 12 seasons of bones in the, like the past 4 months cuz it was what i was watching that wanted. seems
0: appropriate
1: you know isn't it funny and when it first came out i didn't watch it because of the name bones i couldn't i couldn't se- separate my main character named bones <laughs> from the nickname <laughs> of the forensic pathologist so i didn't watch it when it came out i only started watching it like in january um, and it was free on crime. So I would watch it at night and I loved it. And it was so great because it, again, it had basically good versus evil. You know, at the beginning, there's a crime. By the end, they've solved it and they've gotten the bad guy. Um, it has, it has, you know, an equal number of strong female characters to strong male characters. And honestly, that's not as common as it should be on TV. You know, on TV, let's face it, as women, we're happy if we get one or two strong female characters, usually. Um, this had several. And so I loved that too. So recommend that show. And now I'm watching The Mentalist, which is about a guy who used to be a psychic, but then whatever started admitting that that was all fake. He's just really good at reading people. So he helps the police solve crimes. And geez, just too many other things to list probably.
0: (laughs) And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to Janine Frost for hanging out with me. And if you would like to find her on the internet... I have links in the show notes, but her website is JanineFrost.com. She's on Twitter at Janine underscore Frost and on Facebook at Janine Frost. And if you're curious, it's J-E-A-N-I-E-N-E. Lots of vowels, like she said. This episode was brought to you by Dearly Beloved by Mary Jo Putney. Dearly Beloved, Mary Jo Putney's award-winning standalone romance had fallen out of print since it was first published in 1990, But now it is back on shelves in a beautifully repackaged edition and her classic tale of forbidden love, courtesans and dangerous secrets is as enthralling as it has ever been. When the most in-demand courtesan in London meets a Viscount, an undercover spy, harboring a dangerous secret, their clash of passion unleashes an adventure that threatens to upend their lives forever. Dearly Beloved by Mary Jo Putney is available now wherever you find your books. And for more information, visit KensingtonBooks.com. Every episode receives a transcript from Garlic Knitter. Thank you, Garlic Knitter! And this week, the transcript is brought to you by our Patreon community. Thank you, Patreon community. You are all fabulous. If you would like to have a look and join, please do. Patreon.com slash smart bitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 per month, and every pledge makes a deeply appreciated difference. Now, before I get to terrible jokes and previews of what's coming up, I have two things to tell you about. First, Sudio has sent me a new pair of headphones to test out, and they're fabulous to the point where my children are trying to steal them from me. Um, I hid them before they went to camp so that they wouldn't go to camp because I was pretty sure someone was going to try to take them with them. They are small white earbuds. The brand name, or the brand name is Sudio, but the device name is Toll. Swedish folks, if I'm saying that wrong, please feel free to correct me. They are wireless Bluetooth earbuds. They weigh four and a half grams each. And the case is a little bit larger than that round lip balm that comes in a sphere that I always lose, but it's slightly larger than that. So I don't lose this. I'm also really good at hiding it. Each time you put the headphones in the case, they start recharging because there's a battery in there. Each time you charge them, the battery in the, in the earbuds lasts seven hours, and the charge case has another four charges. So that's a couple of days of a lot of Bluetooth wireless activity. I wear them to walk the dog. I wear them to work out. They are awesome. So if you're thinking, I could really use a pair of wireless earbuds, you can get 15% off your purchase at studio S-U-D-I-O.com, discount code SMARTBITCHES. off and free worldwide shipping. Quite awesome. And thank you to Studio for the coupon. It is over 100 degrees this weekend. And as a result, I'm using Christmas music. This is a Fiddles. It's Deviations Project. And this is Three Ships, one of my very favorite songs from this album. Because it is so hot, I had to think of things that were cool. So I hope you enjoy the Christmas music beneath. Did you know that's called The Bed? I think I've told you that before. Now, one last thing. If you are going to be in RWA or in New York next week, Thursday, July 25th, seven o'clock at the strand bookstore. I am hosting a romance game night with Helena hunting, Sonali dev, Melanie Johnson, Lauren lane, and Alicia Rye. Admission is $10. And it comes with a $10 gift card to the strand bookstore. There's going to be a book signing. There's going to be games. It's going to be mayhem. And the first 50 people to arrive win a tote bag. It's going to have stuff in it, too. Doors open at 630. You can register online. I have a link in the show notes and at smartbitchestrushybooks.com slash events. I hope you can join us. Coming up on the site this week, today, July 19, we have a very cool guest post from Emma Berry about the romance of outer space for the anniversary of the moon landing 50 years ago. Her essay is really cool. I really enjoyed it. This weekend, we also have bonus Help a Bitch Out and hide Your Wallet Part 2, where we talk about books we've heard about, deals we've learned of, and things that we think you might want to know. Then next week, we have new reviews of new books. And we have a new post from Poppy, who reads books and then illustrates scenes featuring her cats. She did a guest post last month, and she is back with a new one. And it is exquisite. Plus, we will have Help a Bitch Out and books on sale and more. I will have links to everything we talked about, all of the books we mentioned in the show notes, but you knew that. So before we go, it's time for a terrible joke. How do you feed a thousand people with one loaf of bread? Don't know? How do you feed a thousand people with one loaf of bread? Well, you cut the ends off because then you'll have endless bread. Mm. (laughs) It's endless bread. (laughs) That is from a Reddit user user named House Me's. Daughter, so uh, house me your daughter, super awesome, <laughs> endless bread. <laughs> and if you are going to be at RWA next week, Amanda will be there. I will be there. Aria will be there. If you see one of us, grab us and say hi. I love meeting folks who listen to the show. So if you see me, I would very much like to meet you. So please don't be afraid. Unless I'm like speaking or something, and then you know I'll definitely drink, take a break for water. But either way, if you're around and you see one of us please stop and introduce yourself. I would be delighted to meet you. On behalf of Janine Frost and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. Hello there, and welcome to episode number. I forgot to write the number down. That's not going to help me do this intro, is it? Oh, boy.